Uh, we're entering a Sandman baby right now on Sports 1440. Uh, let's welcome in our co-host every Wednesday from 9 to 11, Dave Schlemko, powered by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for over 40 years. Check out cougarcollision.com. Morning, Dave. Morning, Kev. How was the week? Week was good. Nice and busy. Yeah, didn't have to go to Hinton or anything for some... Uh, clinics and hockey and things like that? Nope, just running some NAX skates out at the River Cree here. Oh, good. So building a house, lots of meetings on meetings on meetings, and uh-huh. picking out door handles and all that exciting yep. stuff. And, and uh, you got to get the, the paint on the ceilings and the doors and everything. The wife's picking all that. You're not picking out anything, are you? No, I'm like third yeah. in line yeah. after my 11-year-old daughter. Yeah, you get nothing. You get absolutely <laughs> zero say. You could probably decide what goes on in the garage. And the basement. The basement. <laughs> and the, yeah. yeah. So it. you get a big TV. That's all you really care about. And the garage, you're, you'll, you'll, and you probably know by now, you spend a lot of time in the garage. Yeah. You know, and you're thinking of projects that you need to do, that you want to do, but it's your just, it's your sanctuary. It's a sanctuary. I'm going to have to up my handyman game, though, so I can spend a little more time in there. You just get, you go and get a bunch of tools, and then you go, you, you say to your to your wife and kids, well, I got to build something. You then know. I actually got to build something. Well, you figure that out after, <laughs> you know. Head down to Lee Valley, go down and get a couple of those, you know, those fifteen twenty thousand $20,000 saws that they got in there, and you're just fine. Perfect. Uh, did you watch a game last night? What'd you make of it? You bet. Uh, hey, the Oilers won three in a row. All is good in Oil Town. Yeah. Um, I, I did. I liked their effort. I thought it was a good 60-minute effort. Uh, I know they blew the lead. I thought the third goal was kind of through, through, yeah. through Ernie's legs, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, kind of fluky. Going out to block it. Uh, the last goal, I thought McLeod was a little bit out to lunch, puck watching. Mm-hmm. I think uh, even if he doesn't bat it out of the air, if it's... Uh, that could have been a pass straight on the ice, and it's a backdoor tapping. So yep. I, I think they want that one back. But overall, I thought the, it was a good 60-minute effort. What about the fact, David, we we touched on it off the top, you know, they, they faced adversity a few times. And first, what, what's your take on the on the uh, face-off goal? Because uh, Speck asked me, and I thought it was kind of a set play, but you, yeah. you, you, you failed to execute the, the number one thing, and that's possession and win the draw. Yeah, well, that's... To me, that's just such an Oilers kind of goal to give up. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously, you're set up for the strong side play. You have the uh, the defenseman switched over, right? You have yep. Bouchard, I think it was, as a righty on the wall, and then you have Ekholm uh, on the inside as a lefty, and he's lined up straight behind the center. So the one thing those wingers can't do on the inside is Bolt. blow. <laughs> blow the zone, <laughs> just like they did, and leave that guy to walk in all alone. So that's a bit of a brain fart, but yep. uh, a couple of them uh, that end up in the back of their net, but that's what happens against a good team, right? Mm. So on a play like that, do you see, um, again, you say Bouchard and Ekholm switch. Normally they'd be on the other sides? Yeah. Okay. And the reason they're switching is because you believe that probably Bouchard's getting ready to pump a long pass to someone? I think the play is to go to Ekholm there. That's okay. why he's lined up right behind the center, and he's going to be on his forehand to come out strong side off the glass or to play that middle mm-hmm. flip. How much would a team work on face-off alignment in that sense on a play like that? And if you think that it's a set play, because it worked against Anaheim, yeah, we had you know you saw the play in, against Anaheim where Nurse made the long, long outlet pa- pass 
to Ryan right. Eugene Hopkins, who slid behind the defense. Yeah. I think, I'm not saying that's the exact play that was in the books or, you know, on top, but yeah. something similar. Something similar. It's it's that strong side play where the D are flipped over. I think on Nurse's one, he did start inside on the hash mark there mm-hmm. and kind of came in to pick up the puck. So I'm not sure what the set play was with that home because he was lined up right behind the center. Yeah. Sometimes they run where that outside winger will blow and uh, Ekholm can fire it off the wall on yeah. the far side there. I mean, maybe that's why he was lined up behind the center right off the draw. I'm not really sure. But that's what you kind of risk leaving the front of the net open. <laughs> <laughs> that was, and that was wide open. That was a, a Matteo to make it 2 2. Yeah. Uh, so after that, again, and we saw it several times during the game, even where, you know, the Oilers faced a little bit of adversity, but handled it. And that was one of them. That was a big one because that, the team in, you know, past games this year, not saying folded, but did, wasn't able to handle something bad that happened and maybe it snowballed a little bit. Right. Last night they stopped that for the most part until after that 4-3 goal was scored. Yeah. Yeah, so. I thought they handled adversity well. I agree with that 100%. What do you make of the play uh, on defense? Um I mean, I think we've been talking about Ekholm, we've been talking about Darnell Nurse and and the fact that they're probably playing some of their best hockey right now in the last few games. Yeah. Is there a reason why? Is it just, I mean, Ekholm again missed all camp and things like that? Well, I was listening on the way into the Ekholm interview. I th- you got to think Paul Coffey coming in has yep. something to do with it. Um, just a different look, a different voice back there, probably uh, instilling a little bit more confidence in the back end. Uh, like Ekholm was saying, he does a lot more mm-hmm. cheerleading than, you know, coming down on guys for mistakes. So. I mean, maybe everyone's just feeling a little bit better about their game, a little more confident. How much do you think Coffey and Stewart bounce things off each other, you know, on the bench, you know, working with the defense? You know, I'm not sure firsthand, but I I would think that all the coaching staff is constantly bouncing stuff off of each other as well as the players. Um, I mean, that'd be a pretty healthy way to do things for a winning team, I would think. I'm just kind of thinking in the... In the sense of, you know, this is Paul Coffey's been on the bench now for the first time, you know, in his life as a coach. You know, Stewart's been there. He's he's he sees what you know what's been going on with the defense. Right. So in, in that sense, just, interesting dynamic, though, yeah. right? If you're Mark Stewart, you're like, all right, I'm telling Paul Coffey yeah. what to do here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I think there still has to be. Hey, you know what? Paul, what about this? Mar- you know, yeah, oh yeah, you know, hundred so. percent. But yeah, very interesting dynamic. You got a guy that says fifteen hundred career points, and and then you know Mark Stewart was you know a real tough, you know, oh, stay a good home, defenseman and stay in his own home right. And, yeah, you know, but Daddy and most guys don't have fifteen hundred games. <laughs> Play hard, yeah. <laughs> a beast back there when he played with the Jets and teams like that. So, um, Vinny DeHarney, his game. What have you thought of him on the back end in the last few games? I thought he's been much better the last few games. Yep. Just moving the puck, right? He's always going to be that big presence back there. It's hard physically. He's going to box out well. He's going to be good down low. But mm-hmm. I think he looks a lot more confident with the puck. He's uh, he's moving it way more efficiently, and and then he's not playing in his own zone as much, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I like his game a lot lately. David Schlemko, our uh, co-host, uh, 9 to 11 on Wednesdays for uh, Cougar Paint and Collision. So the Oilers have now won three in a row. You can see a little bit of confidence, a little bit more momentum. So do you think that they've turned things around here? I, I, 
I think it's g- turned in the it's right direction. Still a ways to go, though. Yeah, I mean, it's it's three games, right? I, I like the way they're trending. Uh, I like the way they're rolling four lines over a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, that's good for everybody. It's good for the bottom six to, you know, kind of get more in the flow of things. It's it's good for the top players to get a little more rest. I think Connor McDavid is looking a lot more like himself the last few games. He's obviously feeling better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, trending in the right direction. I mean, are, are there still things to work on? 100%. Uh, I, like we talked about, mm-hmm. two of those goals last night are pretty easy to clean up, in my opinion, but uh, trending in the right direction. I think they're getting contributions from a lot more players from from a lot more um, points of the game where they're critical points. They're, yeah. You know, even like end of the periods last night I thought were good. Yeah. You know, there were times where, you know, Vegas could have snuck back in the game. And yeah. I think the Oilers, you know, for the most part at the end of periods, allowed a goal earlier, you know, in the second to tie things up. Those goals, and I mean, again, just throwing pucks to the net. How many did we see? You know, Sam Gagne's goal, throw the puck to the net. Yeah. Uh, Mark Stone on the tip, it, it tipped, and then it kind of goes off. Heck, Oman in. I mean, these are where the goals are scored. That's, I mean, you, yeah, you were the mixer. You, yeah, you were, you stood in front many times and went, must have went, I thought I had this guy. Mm-hmm. And, but you're not totally, I mean, is, uh, you know, when you when you have a guy in front like that, what's your? Are you going? I'm totally tying this guy up, or am I watching where the shots going? As a defenseman, on a play like the ones that we're talking about. Well, it's a teachable moment that first goal. Okay, for me, anyways. Um, I work with a lot of young D, and we were actually just working on box outs this week. Okay, so I think Ekholm does a great job boxing out. He makes himself big. He's got his stick up. Goalie can see the puck. All he's got to do with that last second is get under that stick and pop it. Just one little one. Right? And then I think Louis uh, DeBrusque, he had a good clip later on in the period showing Darnell Nurse doing the same thing, getting under that stick in front, right? So that's the last thing you got to do. It's great to be big and strong and box out, but you got to get under sticks in front when that puck comes, especially against Stone, one of the best hand-eye guys in the league. Timing. A lot then? Yep. Timing and, and reading that the shots are going to be coming and when and where. Exactly. Like I think as a D, if you can even just get that guy off balance right when the puck's coming, give him a little shot that he can't focus enough to get a stick mm-hmm. on that puck, you know. So when you talk to the younger kids then, so you, what are you exactly relaying to them? Um, what I'm really to them is to box out early is the biggest thing is a lot of young D men they want to wait and stand at the front of the net and wait till that guy gets there to try and cross check him and get him out of the front right right where I teach if you got tight gap on that guy and he's in the corner and he moves it up to the point get into him early box him out early before he gets to the net mm-hmm. and then when that puck comes if he does get position like I said to pop that stick get under sticks in front what do you? How, how do you defend? And what's the difference when you have a guy, a bigger guy like Stone, or even a bigger guy than that, compared to maybe a smaller forward that's coming in there that could be maybe a little craftier? Yeah. Well, I think with a small guy, you gotta you gotta watch for that spin off. I always tell my D to try and box that guy out, angle him up away from the net instead of coming underneath. Mm-hmm. From like underneath, like low from the goal line, getting in the goalie's face. So try to watch for the spin off with the small guys. They're pretty good at doing that. Um, with the bigger guys, especially for a D man like me when I played, 
you're not always going to be able to box out that 6'4", 230 power forward. He's going to get position on you. So I think the key is to not double screen, not stand beside the guy and provide another screen for your goalie. So get in behind him or front the puck. And like I said, get under that stick when the shot comes. How much is the goalie communicating with you and vice versa? Or Depends on the goalie, honestly. Um, Like a goalie like Mike Smith, he's always talking to you. He's always telling you where your guy is to move if you're in the way. And some goalies don't talk as much. Hmm. Dave Schlemkor, co-host on Sports 1440, every Wednesday from uh, 9 to 11. Uh, we've got an old teammate of yours coming up at 10 o'clock, Shane Doan. Doaner. How many, uh, three, four seasons with, with Doan in, in Arizona? Um, yeah, four, yeah, four and a half yeah. parts of six, I yeah. guess, because I kind of came up there through yeah. the minors. So. Did you know him before a little bit or just right when you got to Arizona? Uh, no, didn't meet him until I got to Arizona, but he is a good Northern Alberta boy. Yeah, Halkirk, we had some people <laughs> texting in uh, earlier about their farm is right by uh, the Shane's uh, parents' farm. Yeah. Um, so... You know, we've boy Duke, you might be taking over half of this interview too, talking about farming and everything like that. <laughs> Happily, I, I I would love to to talk some farming with Donor, especially down from uh, his neck of the woods, not or woods, not really too too far away from uh, where I'm from. Actually, um, him kind of more out into the uh, yeah. little bit north and to the east in the Halkirk, big wind farm area out there as well. All the uh, mm-hmm. wind turbines, so. Curious his thoughts on that, but I'm assuming the talk will probably steer a little I more in the uh, the hockey direction. I would think not only with <laughs> his uh, you know prolific playing career, but he's also um, in upper management of a premier NHL franchise now too. So I assume the farming talk probably won't get too far. I down don't the line. know, Duke. You know, <laughs> you, you a lot of these guys they want to get back to their roots and talk about stuff like that. True, and you we're know? not allowed to talk about the Leafs. Yeah, we, yeah, we're not allowed to talk about the Leafs. And who, why do we want to talk about him anyway? So fair enough. You know. Um, one quick one for you here. Uh, text coming in from Zads. Good morning, gents. I'm curious on Schlemmer's thoughts, and we did discuss this, but maybe revisit it, on why wasn't McLeod tying up the player on the fourth goal, tip in to tie the game. I believe it was uh, Col- Colasar uh, who tipped it. Uh, how does that happen? Thanks, Zads. So just sort of revisit that one, Schlemmer. Uh, just puck watching, I think. Um, when I watched the replay, everyone else was in position, right? Mm-hmm. Both D had a guy... The wingers were in good position. The inside winger was low, kind of in the slot. The strong side winger had his points, and McLeod was just kind of swinging through the slot, watching the puck, and went right behind him and in the back of the net. So, I mean, McLeod's um, start to the season has been well documented. So we're 20 games in, and, you know, he's, he's still looking to find his way. Yeah. Um. How does he find his way? I think he's got to get to the dirty areas. Yep. Honestly, I, he does a lot of good things out there. He touches a lot of areas of the game with his speed mm-hmm. and the way he can carry the puck through the neutral zone. But I think when things aren't going your way, you got to just get to the net and whack away, hope one goes in off your ass. Yep. Something, right? You know, and we see that speed. Like he has elite speed in oh, overtime. Yeah. You know, he, he went to the net. Was a sharp angle attempt, um, but take more pucks to the net, yeah, right? And, and you know what? Go to the goalie. Like I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna ha- go to the net, do it accidentally on purpose, and maybe just 
you know, a little bit more greasier. If you if you sort of run into the goalie and end up with three guys on you, that's fine. Yeah, I think I think to simplify your game a little bit, get to those gritty areas, get a little more sandpaper to your game. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We've got our ski report, and we're going to talk about uh, Schlemmer's. I guess you know. I I, I don't know if he's going to change his name to Steve Podborski or Ken Reed or. Mind, these are all old guys. You probably don't even know who they are. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> oh, man. The crazy Canucks. The crazy Canucks. Uh, you know, Brian Rhodes, he's going to come on. He's in Marmot Basin. He's going right now. Come on. You don't even know. You know, the crazy Canucks. Dave Irwin. These guys, they they were, were what, why skiing ended up to be what it is in Canada for, for the males, like Karen Lee Gardner and Karen Percy for the, for the women. Going back even further, there's a lot more, but... I love skiing, Kev, but you're, you're losing me here, bud. Okay, well, uh, our ski report, plus uh, Brian Road. when we come back, let's carry us. Schlemko on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. 923 in Edmonton. Kevin Carius, David Schlemko on a Wednesday. Oilers uh, on a three-game mini heater in Winnipeg tomorrow and lots of other things going on. And, man, if we could ever get some snow around here, it might feel like ski season, but it really is. And now time for the ski report. Here is the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas. Your ski report for Wednesday, November 29th, brought to you by Snow Valley Ski Club. Start your skiing journey at snowvalley.ca. It's been a slow start to the ski season with warm weather and little precipitation hampering all ski areas. Banff and Jasper Mountain Resorts are all open on limited terrain with more runs and lifts expected to open once we get a little bit more snow. Marmot Basin, no new snow in the last few days and operating on a 27-centimeter base with only the Eagle Express and Schoolhouse chairs running. In Banff, Lake Louise with a 46-centimeter base with 8 of 11 lifts operating. Sunshine Village with a 43-centimeter base and 6 of 12 lifts in operation. Norquay with two lifts and two runs open so far this season. And down in Kananaskis, Nakiska is open with five groomed runs and two chairs open. Southern Alberta, Castle Mountain tentatively slated to open on Friday with just over the border into BC. Fernie opening on Saturday. Locally, Snow Valley opens on Saturday. No word yet on the opening dates for the other local slopes. On the upside, if you are heading out to the mountains, you can expect reduced lift ticket rates and very few crowds. And that is your Snow Valley Ski Report. Wow. Not enough O's and smooth for the Duke. <laughs> uh, the Duke's going to give uh, Brian Road from Marwood Basin a dingle now. We'll get Brian on in the next uh, couple minutes uh, so Schlemmer, you you ski a lot, or what, how would you say? Are you a, like a recreational skier? Or? Yeah, recreational for sure. Uh, I didn't ski for about twenty years, I guess, while I was playing hockey. Yeah. I was too afraid to get hurt and yeah. not get paid. Do you have? <laughs> w- yes. Was there something? Because um, a lot of guys in their contract, right? They yeah. they say you can, you're not allowed to even water ski. Yeah. Well, I think it's I can't remember exactly what the language is in it, but. Essentially, if you do get hurt doing something stupid, then mm-hmm. technically don't have to pay you. But well, yeah. a lot of guys still do go skiing to Colorado and mountains and the Rockies in Canada and stuff on All Star Break. I have seen it. Yeah, I just didn't do it. Well, you know what? We're gonna your homework assignment for this week is to check out the Crazy Canucks. This is an okay. integral part of Canadian sports history. <laughs> and, and in the seventies, these guys because. They had no money, zero sponsorship. They had 
you know, I hope Terry O'Flynn's listening right now because this would be right up his alley. They had no money, no sponsorship. They went to Europe and they'd, they'd ski against all the Europeans. And they, they, they were beating them. And only on because they were... They, they were crazy Canucks. So you had Jungle Jim Hunter. He was the start of it, basically, and Dave Irwin and, and Dave Murray. Those were the three, the guys that were the, at the very start, the precipice of Canadian men's skiing. And then Ken Reed and Steve Podborski came in, and they were younger. They were the younger skiers, and they, uh, I don't know, they were probably, yeah, they would be the better skiers. Ken Reed was the best. Podborski was the best, two out of the five. Those two would be the best. But these guys were phenomenal. But they went toe-to-toe with all the Europeans. Uh, they were getting, they didn't even know how to properly wax their skis. Uh, it's the truth. So um, I think we got Brian Road on the line now. So Brian Road from Marmot Basin. Hey, Brian, how's it going? Welcome to Sports 1440. It is going great, guys, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Brian Road uh, at Marmon Basin uh, on Sports fourteen forty. You're with Kevin Carries and David Schlemko, and Dave. I'm just giving him a quick little history lesson on the crazy Canucks, Brian. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah, the crazy. They, they were crazy, and uh, they're legendary, right? Mm. Those guys, and uh, they were the. Uh, the kings of downhill and surprised the whole world there during that period. I'm just Very trying cool. to get Dave on that. So, you know, you you know more than than me about it, uh, Brian. But so, with no money, no sponsorship. I mean, they were they were way behind the times to against the Europeans, but they were competing with them and beating them. How did they do it? Well, I mean, they came by that name honestly, didn't they? The yeah. crazy Canucks. I think, you know, Ken Reed, Dave Irwin, and uh, Murray, Pogborski, all those guys. They, I mean, it takes a, a lot of skill to do that speed event. You're going 120, 130 kilometers an hour, but it takes a lot of um, uh, uh, courage. I, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's another word I could come mm-hmm. up with. Guts. But they just went for it. I mean, no holds barred. Uh, no fear, and they were just a determined bunch of guys. And then you know uh, as better than anybody what happens in sports. They feed off one another. As soon as one guy starts to have success and starts to go for it and go fast, the other guys in the team said, uh, I'm coming with you. Yeah. And it was just uh, yeah, just an incredible group of guys. Uh, Brian Road from Marmot Basins with us. We just had our uh, Snow Valley Ski Report, Brian. So how are things looking out in Marmot? Well, it's a beautiful day here. I'll tell you, I mean, uh, the skiing here is is really quite good, uh, but it's limited. And as everybody knows, we've had uh, what I see the article this morning with uh, driest November in Edmonton in a century. And that's pretty much across the country and, and down into the States as well. So we've got some runs open in the lower area right now. Our signature run tranquilizer is in perfect shape. You can bring your brand new skis top to bottom. It's about a thousand vertical feet. So it's a good, honest run. And then just recently we opened up uh, old road, bunny hop schoolhouse. Those are our signatures, novice runs in the lower mountain and they're in great shape as well. So really good skiing. Uh, just not a lot of runs open yet, but uh, people can come out and have a great time. Temperature's been good. Sun's out again today. You know, hoping to get that upper area open when Mother Nature comes through and, and cooperates. It looks like there's some snow in the forecast for this weekend, so we'll keep our fingers crossed that that comes to fruition. Um, so, yeah, good skiing. Just uh, a handful of runs open right now in the lower mountain. You know, uh, Brian, Dave Schlemko says he's one of the top 
skiers that have you know a hockey player skiers going. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's looking I'm not for that actually. <laughs> he said he's been out. <laughs> you've been out to Marmot a few times. I would assume. Yeah, I've been out to Marmot a lot. Yeah, my parents were big skiers, and uh, yeah, they always like to go out to Jasper, have lunch up in the parking lot there, right on the hill, and yeah. back at her. Yeah, you know, I, guys, I used to, I used to. T- each skiing, that's where I cut my teeth in this industry, uh, not literally. And uh, whenever we get first-time skiers that were hockey players, they caught on really fast. And, uh, you know, just being on skates, understanding that feeling of sliding, being athletes to start with, uh, the hockey players were always the fastest learners. So if there's any skaters out there that have never tried skiing, um, you'll be good at it pretty quick. Why do you think that is, Brian? Edges? Just edges, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, and and knowing what it's like to slide without moving your feet, right? People oh, who have yeah, never been true. on snow before, as soon as they try skiing, the first thing they try to do is, is shuffle and move their feet because they're not used to this sensation of, of uh, you know, just sliding, just, just gliding. One thing I do find with hockey players, I'm a pretty weak skater myself, but uh, when they, they lean a little bit when they first start learning, they lean a bit on that inside ski. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with skiing, you keep all your weight on the outside ski. I think with hockey, you know, you're still going to weight that inside skate, right? You guys tell me. Yeah, I totally do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Schlemmer, did you find it you were uh, leaning forward a little bit too much skiing, or did you have the ability to kind of get in, uh, in the seat? Not really, but I definitely dig in my inside edge like yeah. he's talking about. And that's like just from hockey, like the skate, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I tried snowboarding once when I was a teenager, yeah. and I was terrible at it. <laughs> I was just not like skating. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, snowboarding is see skiing is a kind of a gradual learning curve. You start out, and you'll learn fairly quickly at a, at a steady rate uh, to get up to intermediate terrain. But it takes a little bit of time. You'll you'll get on the lift fairly quickly. Snowboarding is the first day or two is is hard yeah. it takes a little bit longer but once you catch on then the curve goes up really steep really quickly so the snowboarder starts maybe struggles a little bit more than a skier on the first day or the first few hours but once they get the hang of it they'll improve really really quickly so okay so, it's just a little bit different that learning curve on both so dave you had a harder time picking up snowboarding yeah i tried it once on like a yeah. school field trip and like you said, it didn't go well after mm. quit after the one day. <laughs> Back to skis. <laughs> you get a pretty sore butt on your first day. Yeah, yeah. butt and wrists. <laughs> uh, well, but- the deal is uh, you got it. I mean, with our snowboard instructors here now, and, and I mean, I, this is for all ski areas. Mm. You go take a lesson, a snowboard lesson, it is going to make all the difference in the world on the first day. We got a lot of kids in school yeah. groups that are taking snowboarding now and skiing, and uh, it makes all the difference when you get a lesson. Yeah. Hey, Brian Road from Marmot Basin, uh, one couple more quick ones for you, but how, what's what's the percentage, I guess, and for snowboarders to skiers, and what like do you what do you got for, I guess, rails and ramps for the borders? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got uh, right now what we call our mini terrain park open, and we're just putting in another small terrain park, oh, cool. and then we have our main terrain park is uh, under a run called Lift Line. That's going to take a little bit longer to build. We use man-made snow there so we can build the big features. So one main park in the lower area and then two mini rail parks. Mm-hmm. we got a whole bunch of new rails manufactured this year. So, again, mm-hmm. once we get this snow made, which will happen prior to Christmas, we'll get that park open. Yeah. 
And uh, we've got about uh, 10 new rails in there and rainbows and, and that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and these parks now, of course, are both for snowboarders uh, and for skiers. So uh, lots of park, skier, uh, park users are skiers now as well. And the, uh, the Knob Quad, where are you at with that? Oh boy, that's exciting! That that's our huge uh, improvement this year. So the lift is is built. We just got all the carriers on um, just in the last few days. We do the load testing here over the rest of this week, and then the lift will be what we call commissioned. In other words, ready to roll on mm-hmm. December 11th. So it'll be ready to run. Uh, as soon as we have enough snow up in the knob area to run it, because the knob, if people haven't been up there before, that's all above tree line. That's really rugged terrain, some really spectacular high alpine skiing and snowboarding. And the cool thing about the knob is, uh, you know, we've replaced the old double chair, um, which is legendary. It was installed in 1976 with this quad chair. So it's going to be way more comfortable, but it also goes up quite a bit higher. It goes about halfway up to the peak. So it takes you about 330 vertical feet higher than the old knob and it accesses all this new terrain that we opened last year for the very first time. So we're really looking forward to getting getting up there and getting skiing and snowboarding in the knob. Well, I think cool. a lot of people in town can't wait to get out to Marmot, but... Uh it doesn't feel like here again, Brian. We have no snow, so it, it feels it feels weird for yeah. this time of year. Yeah, it's late coming. I mean, things are different in the mountains, of course. And like I said, you can come here right now on a beautiful day, enjoy yeah. some great skiing. You're in the mountains; it's 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 absolutely yeah. gorgeous. But we know. Uh, regardless of El Nino and all that, we're in Alberta. We're going to get the snow. It's a long season, and uh, we got some great skiing and riding ahead of us, that's for sure. Hey, Brian, thanks for hopping on, and uh, we're looking forward to a great season at Marmot. Thanks, thanks for this. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Thanks, all Brian. Right. That's Brian Road from Marmot Basin, and uh, I guess part of our ski report, Duke. Did that, that just came together like that was just smooth duke some things are just meant to be and uh it, i was i can't believe it uh that snow valley is going to be open yeah this saturday well i mean they're blowing so a snow. lot of fake lo- snow. <laughs> well that's but, yeah. but still i mean even with the, the weather has to like the temperature has to stay cold enough to keep the snow uh intact it was very warm yesterday it was duke was saying yesterday all he does schlemmer is slalom in the trees Slalom. Yeah, he, he goes in, you know, in yeah, uh, one the of those hard guys, terrain. Eh? Yeah. The uh, but what uh, we just talked about the new knob chair. Yeah. I like I said, my ski career is probably over at this point. Um, but like the double knob, that was like mm-hmm. our favorite lift to go up uh, right to the tippity top, and uh, that's some tough runs coming off uh, the top of the mountain there. So it's uh, it's fun if you're going up there. Like we used to do family trips. And my younger sister, mm-hmm. you know, get the legs swinging on that uh, kind oh, yeah, of rickety yeah, yeah, double yeah. chair, and uh, <laughs> she'd uh, then she'd be a little uh, oh, upset scary. with me by the time we get off. So, but fun, fun with the whole family. I, I'm, I'm disappointed in the Duke that he says his skiing career is over. Though. Yeah, I was going to ask. Oh, well, why, I don't have any, I don't have an ACL at the moment. Neither do my... I. <laughs> I. Haven't had one for 25 years. You don't need it. Just tape it up, Duke. Throw a brace on, Duke. Yeah. Come on. All right. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll test it out at Snow Valley first, see how it holds up. I got and, a brace for you. And then uh, and then we'll give it uh, a go on the mountain. Taper uh, up. You're fine. You're playing <laughs> Sunday not Sunday night hockey with the Trop- Tropicana Orangemen. Yeah, the Tropics. The um, tropics. <laughs> I do, uh, but not very well the past couple of weeks, I'll say that. So that might also not be a huge supporting note in my uh, 
effort to get back out on the ski hill because if I can barely play hockey, I don't know how the skiing thing will go. But the, the knee is not really what's holding me back on the hockey side of things. Fitness, Just talent, brain, <laughs> lack of talent. Yeah, all these things are probably more to blame than my knee. So. Uh, text comes in from Sean Schlemmer. I'm right there with you. I just can't grasp the concept of snowboarding, not being able to move my feet. Skiing is it, Sean. Love it, Sean. I don't know. I just couldn't get it. I was on my butt the whole time trying to snowboard. uh, Same boat as Schlemmer. Tried it once at Canyon Ski Hill outside of Red Deer. Uh, Same thing, like a school trip thing. Like switched. We went in for lunch. Then I switched with one of the guys coming back out. He's like, I want to try skiing. I wanted to try boarding. Both of us uh, were switched back after about two runs down. Gave up oh, very, we gave up very quickly. But uh, I like, I was already a pretty good skier. Like, why yeah. do I need to try and learn something new? But when we were young, snowboarding was cool and yeah, skiing wasn't. Very that, true. That was the problem. I feel like that's kind of changed now. Like, they're kind of mm-hmm. there's just as many skiers as snowboarders. But when I was like a teenager, like young adult, and yeah. snowboarding was just coming on the scene, like it wasn't cool to ski. Did you guys find too that again? Maybe snowboarding was jammed down your throats, I guess, because you guys are a little younger than I am. And as you say that, yeah, there's a possibility that everyone was doing it. It was the hip thing to do. Yeah, 100%. But, but it really did take off. And, like, I mean, when you watch the Olympics and things like that, that's one of the first events that you kind of, like, the, the half pike and all oh, that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, it was, it's cool to watch. They're so talented. You know, and then Jennifer Heil is another one. You know, and she, I, yes, you know. that's that's the first name you've said in all these Canadian ski legends that <laughs> oh. I actually know who that is. <laughs> but that, she's probably God. also the only one from this century, so that might make sense. <laughs> the crazy Canucks man. These are guys. What year were they from? Uh, is Late, there a documentary okay, or there's, something? There, there's we can documentaries. Watch there's movies. These guys were cutting edge as far as in pun Cana- intended. Yeah, for Canadian sports history. I, I, I go, believe it. Like I mean, again. Uh, I think one of them's passed on now, uh, but Steve Podborski, Ken Reed were phenomenal. Uh, but back in the day, it was just way different. These, there was no money. These guys were going around in a van, five guys in a van all over, you know, Austria and Switzerland and things like that. The cool runnings of yeah, skiing. Yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> uh We'll have some open uh, text time when we come back. And uh, top of the hour, Shane Doan will guest with us, the pride of Helkirk, Alberta. And we were talking about it uh, off the top, Schlemmer. You think about what might have been, how your life could be different. You had, I don't know, 10,000 Oilers fans saying, take Shane Doan in the 1995 draft here in Edmonton. Oh, yeah. Seventh overall. He goes to the Winnipeg Jets then. It was still Winnipeg. Yeah. Uh, the Oilers selected uh, Steve Kelly. And I've known, I, I was working in Prince Albert when Steve Kelly was playing there as a 16-year-old. He was a good player in the WHL. You think about how your life, would, how how different it would be, I mean, if Shane Doan was drafted by the Oilers. Holy yeah. smokes. Uh, that's coming up at 10 o'clock. Uh, tons more coming up on the Kevin Carey Show with David Schlemko on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program. A couple of, uh, yeah, social media posts that, kind of interesting right now just in the last few minutes uh among the teams uh, this is from michael marino among the teams that i have confirmed are still in the major league running for shohei otani dodgers cubs blue jays angels i said jays like two weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) oh man you could you imagine if the blue jays were to land shohei otani that'd be unreal we were saying if it's uh if it's 600 million 
That's that's a billion Canadian. <laughs> Take my money. <laughs> like that's a billion Canadian. I told the Duke the first thing that I'm doing is changing my uh, phone plan away from Rogers because that's exactly how they're going to be paying them with uh, your cell bill going up to whatever it is. So you know what Connor Halley said when I passed that uh, little tidbit along about what you said in jest? Yeah. Connor said he would be willing to switch to Rogers <laughs> and pay whatever they ask if it meant the Blue Jays were signing that's Shohei Otani. That's a fair comment. Yeah, I'd do yeah. the same. Like, would, do, you, do yeah. you think it's the same thing like people down in uh, Leafland in Toronto with the... Uh, all these big deals are handing out to Matthews and Marner and company. They're like, yeah, jack up my satellite up. price. I don't care. <laughs> it's a good point. I'm the other way, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm the other way. Well, that's because you're not even a Blue Jays fan. I, I'm a Blue I No, I am a Blue Jays fan to an extent, but I'm a Yankees fan. I've been a Yankees fan my whole life. Yes. So I can still knock off the starting lineup from the 77, 78 world champions for the Yankees. Can can you do that as a Blue Jay fan from '93? When I wasn't alive, <laughs> I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> Those were—I mean, we were dancing in the streets when the Jays won in '92 and three. I remember watching when Joe Carter hit the home run. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were. I mean, for, uh, the other thing too is like the the Montreal Expos with all the how close the Expos were at times. You know, with the work stoppage, and then back in '81. They had the Blue Monday, Rick Monday. Uh, Steve Rogers came in uh, at Montreal at Expo at uh, the Big O, hit a home run in the ninth inning off of their ace who came in on relief, and the Dodgers went on to win the World Series uh, and beat Montreal in the NL. CS. Jurassic Bark. <laughs> <laughs> if the Jays land Otani, the merch sales alone uh, would pay for his contract. I mean, there's no denying all this. I mean, look. I mean, the Connor McDavid point. jerseys. It's yep. everything. It's a good point. Uh, Patty in Spruce uh, Grove says, "KK used to be an avid skier. Got talked into trying a snowboard once. After the third forward face plant, after two run skis went back on." Uh, Sounds like a pretty common story, <laughs> isn't it? Eh? Fat Efron, uh, skiing is cool as long as it's twin tips. Uh, Pillman says they used to rent ski bikes and they were absolutely wicked. Is this what you were That's talking what about? Duke Duke? Was just talking so about the, the ski break. bike. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, once again, this is going back to, they took him to the mountains too, but I only seen him at Canyon Ski Hill in Red Deer because there was some people from Delburn big into the motocross uh, community, the Allison family. Yeah. And they had, the, they're called ski bikes. And I brought this picture. I'm going to so, show it to Schlemmer when we go to break next. Okay. But it's basically like a single ski and then up on some handlebars and then kind of almost like a knee rest thing that you sit on. And you just put one knee on it and kind of use your other foot almost as like a drag thing to help you turn. Yeah. I barely ever saw them in action because they were big for like, yeah, the terrain park and stuff like you were talking about uh, at Marmot. But the buddy that I had that had one, he spent more time fixing it and he was always at it with the screwdriver and stuff. I barely ever saw him actually ride it. So I don't know if he was just like testing it and fine tuning it at Canyon before actually taking it to the mountains. I don't know. But that was the only one I ever saw. But they are really cool in theory. So like, are we talking like... Fred Flintstone breaks here, you know, you're putting your heels, <laughs> digging your heels in or what? Pretty much, I think, yeah. Like, I don't know how else you would stop. You'd have the oh. same thing. You just turn your front ski like uh, like yeah. you would your own ski. The and then you face know, nose, with uh, your knee? No, nose tipping. Well, the yeah. front the front ski's on a handlebar, right? So yeah. I, I don't know. Dude, like, like I said, I didn't actually see this guy like actually for me. ride it yeah. much. Yeah, it's, it seems the, like a death trap. With the Duke's knee problem, it's not happening. <laughs> That one, I can barely ride a bicycle, let alone a, a ski bike. 
balance I don't think would add up mm-hmm. for me on that one. I'd try it. You know. Well, yeah, you're not playing anymore. You don't got to worry about exactly. the contract. <laughs> Texas Rangers and at least one other American League East team has dropped out of the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. So I assume that's either Boston or New York. Hopefully. I don't think Baltimore would ever sniff around that. I think that'd be huge for the Jays, just after the way they finished this past year and past couple of years. So you would look at, I mean, and the Jays have their pitching uh, locked up in the sense that, I know Tawny's not going to pitch next year. No. So he comes in and he's technically your DH for, you know, every every game. Yeah. So he's going to hit 45 bombs. He's going to, you know... And probably he's probably going to steal 20 bags if he wants. He wanted to run a lot more in Anaheim. They wouldn't let him. Okay. Or L.A., I guess. Sorry, yeah. L.A. Um, so, but he, that would look cool. That would be, un, that would, that I'd takes the huge. Jays. I'd that puts huge. the Jays on so many. You think about Sunday night baseball. You think about ratings. Oh, yeah. Like Even you were. Like Japan. <laughs> oh, man. Maybe on the map. Ted Rogers is rolling over in his grave right now. He's going, man, we got a chance to get Otani. <laughs> if you're one of 40, that's a 25% chance. Yeah. Putting it out there. Dodgers, it's though. I think happen. it's got to be. You say the Jays. I, I'll go Dodgers, and I've always said Seattle was the sleeper team. but Yeah, I hear he wants to be out west. Yeah. But you never know. Oh, man, this thing could get some legs today. So you got your buddy Shane Doan coming on at uh, 10 o'clock. How, like, do you guys stay in touch lots, or how does it work now? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I think the last time I talked to him was me and Chipper were talking to him at our uh, NAX golf tournament. Um, Try to keep in touch a little bit, talk to him every year or so. Um, Like I said, I think I've said it on the show before, he was definitely the best captain I ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, Great leader, just... Just great human being. You're talking about Kyle Chipchura. He was there at alumni hockey yesterday. He gave me three stories that I could talk about, but not on the air. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. I said, well, that doesn't do me any good, Chipper. I said, thank you very much for that. Uh, but again, you think about how things could have changed. Uh, and you, you look at that that draft in 19... 19- 1995 it was a really good draft and it was here in Edmonton so that that's the that's why people were saying well, you know we want you know take shade Halkirk you know the whole bit yeah but uh, Brian Burrard went first and you know what's funny is that after Shane Doan was selected by uh, Winnipeg at seven Terry Ryan who's on the Jason Greger show was selected eighth by Montreal so pretty cool uh, dynamic there. That is. So Steve Kelly was selected by the Oilers, and I said Steve Kelly could just fly. He was a great, great junior player when he was 16, 17 years old. He couldn't translate it into the next sta- stage, uh, next step of his career. That and happens. Pl- yeah, he played 149 games in the NHL, uh, Steve Kelly did. Another guy that was drafted from that Prince Albert Raiders team that I remember was Brad Church, and we are talking about it last night with Shane Knighty. Uh, who does color for uh, Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Vegas, yeah, he does color for Vegas. And it was Brad Church. And Brad Church, uh, he was a man among boys in junior. And he was drafted in the first round by Washington. Only played two games in the (laughs) NHL. Uh, Didn't have the boots that were fast enough and just couldn't translate that game again. 
That's a guess. Yeah. Draft is And then you a get guess. a guy that's not drafted sitting right here and plays 400-plus games. Those scouts don't know nothing, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Schlemko is powered by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for over 40 years. Check out CougarCollision.com. When we come back, it's our headliner of the day for Mr. Reuter. Uh, Shane Doan uh, will be our guest. It's Carius. It's Schlemko on Sports 1440. Before that, here is the Duke with a Sports 1440 update.